Welcome, folks. Welcome to the South of Scruffy podcast. I am Ben Fields. I am your host. This is my podcast. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it a lot. You guys are turning out, listening, and it means the world. It really does. Thank you all. Today, Cody Walters is on the show. Cody's awesome. He's a DP, director of photography, cinematographer, camera guy, knows it all. He's awesome. We're going to hear a lot from him in just a minute. You're going to love it. Um, at South of Scruffy on Instagram, uh, South of Scruffy at gmail.com. Send me an email. Say what's up. Let me know who you want to hear on the show. Let me know what you think about the shows we've had uh, in the past. Uh, you guys have, have given some really solid feedback, and I appreciate it. So thank you uh, for that. Um, today, Cody uh, stopped by and, and chatted, and he uh, gave us a, a deep dive into, into what he's doing. Um, C- Cody, uh, uh, aside from, from being in the business for a long time, he also is uh, an avid conservationist who likes to bow hunt, fly fish, and all that good stuff, and comes from that kind of background. And uh, we dug into that a little bit, but uh, some industry talk for sure, uh, talking his field and what gets him going and, and how the you know industry is changing for him and and um, what it means. Uh, Cody and I have worked together for a long time. Uh, he is my director of photography of choice when we work together when I'm directing commercials or um, anything else I direct. I, I really like to have Cody along uh, just because... He allows me to free up creatively, and I know that uh, the pictures and the images are in good hands, um, and you guys are in good hands with this. So um, thanks for listening again. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Cody Walters. Can you hear yourself? I can. How do you sound? I hate the way I sound. Uh, Everybody does. (laughs) Pretty sure. (laughs) Cody. What's up? Dude, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, thanks Thank, for having me. Thanks for coming over. Absolutely. You've done this once before, right? I have. You had a podcast with, uh, what was it called? The the Big Red Van Podcast. I listened to it. Yeah. Your uh, your Wikipedia page was lacking a little bit, <laughs> so I had to do my research. <laughs> had to do a little homework. <laughs> yeah, I had to do my <laughs> research elsewhere. But you're a, a director of photography, right? You're, I am. Use the camera? A little bit, yeah. So Pointing at things. Yeah, lighting is kind of your jam. Yep, absolutely. Right. What's uh, what commercial stuff, right? Commercial, digital for social. Um, yeah, yeah, I read somewhere that you shot all of the uh, HGTV <laughs> <laughs> social media videos. Is that right? That was a uh, that was a little bit of a mistake on my part. I got a little <laughs> too excited, <laughs> so that's not true. But you shoot some of it. Oh, you know, like ninety five percent. <laughs> that's good enough yeah, yeah. Uh, digital stuff is big now like i know when when you and i first met and we started shooting stuff it was all about broadcast tv and it was all yeah. about movies and that was the dream yeah and that was where all the eyeballs were so that's where all the money was absolutely and that's changed in the yeah. last 10 years yeah uh i always explain it as like broadcast television always had all the budgets like TV commercials had money because that's where they had all the eyeballs and yeah. this social media and digital stuff was down here at the bottom yeah and it you know didn't have a lot of eyeballs on it so it was the work that nobody really took yeah and now the the eyeballs have gone to social media gone to phones yeah. everybody's getting Absolutely. content from their phones yeah and budgets have matched that so yeah. you've got big companies that don't even mess with broadcast yeah well and from our like point of view you know you you know you're shooting stuff that go that's going to broadcast which is awesome and you know a lot of people are going to see it <clears throat> but you don't necessarily get to see those analytics right. you don't get to see how many people it touched but i remember the first video that i shot for hgtv got a million plus views and that to me i was like oh my gosh that like meant way more to me than anything that we did for broadcast because it was like, oh gosh, I actually know that one million people, or there's at least some lady that's watched this a lot <laughs> a of million times, times in Kansas somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I bet that was cool because it was cool because you don't get that gratification when you make a commercial that goes unless you make yeah. it for the Super Bowl yeah, and you know everybody's exactly. watching it. Exactly, you don't know how or much. you're sitting with your friends and like, oh, 
something comes on TV. I shot that. Yeah. That's, that's cool. That's a cool feeling, yeah. isn't it? No, it's a really that cool feeling. That happens a lot. I'm like, hey, yeah. Edward, you, you guys, look, look, I did that. They're like, oh, yeah. yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to have a conversation over here. Can yeah. you just leave us alone? <laughs> yeah. So, so your work is, has kind of moved over probably a lot the last 10 years since I've since I yeah, met you. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I I tried I tried to get into the uh narrative world that's in Nashville, where, right? Yeah, that's where I well, <clears throat> so I started in Knoxville um trying to get into like the extreme sports scene, mm, wakeboarding stuff. Wake, I remember wakeboarding, yeah, wake yeah. skating stuff I, like I that. I was in that world. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh there's just not a lot of money to be made in that world. I mean, I mean, there is, but not, not enough to make a career out of. Yeah. And, um, but I, I really, I fell in love with it. I mean, my, I guess my creative journey started way before that, but, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I fell in love with it and I just knew that that's, that's what I wanted to do. I came from very much the same place. Um, I, was in the wakeboarding world. I was 15, 14, 15 years old, and I was pretty decent at it. I mean, yeah. I was good at wakeboarding. And yeah. our senior project in high school, uh, you got out of you got out of your fourth period class if you did a project. Yeah. And I was like, well, I love to wakeboard. I bet if I took a camera and made a video out of it, <laughs> yeah. they'd probably pay me to or not pay, you know, but they'd probably let me get out of class yeah. to go, yeah. you know, to go do this stuff. Yeah. And I did. And we made something actually pretty cool. And that and that came from that came from watching wakeboarding videos and yeah. watching watching yeah. stuff that I'd seen. And there was this one guy, his name was Mark Bame. And he made some videos. He made one called Shaft. He made a sequel called Shafted. And he made a bunch of like, he shot a, a lot of really awesome wakeboarding videos, extreme sport kind of videos uh, on, I think, 16 millimeter and super yeah. 16 millimeter film, That's which awesome. people weren't doing. I yeah. mean, it, and, it, and this was... You know, at the very beginning of like mini DV, where people yeah. camcorders were actually giving you decent quality. Yeah. And this guy was taking 16 millimeters on gimbals on helicopters and, and you know, yeah. Lake Havasu and and just filming some of the most awesome stuff and getting big music licensing from the Foo Fighters and yeah. like yeah. a lot of really good music stuff. And and that's what got me going. I was like, I, I want to make one of these for my senior project. Yeah. yeah. And um. When I looked back at like, okay, what do I want to do for a living? This acting thing isn't working out. Like, what do I want to do for a living? Yeah. I was like, well, man, I loved making that wakeboarding video. Yeah. Maybe I should get into that world. Yeah. And I did. And, you know, to round that out a little bit, I ended up meeting Mark Bame, the guy who shot all those videos. He was doing... Uh, he was doing film stuff for Mastercraft. Yeah. And I was working with Jack Parker, yep. shooting stills for Mastercraft, shooting all their catalog stuff for the boats. And I met that dude. And it's so weird to meet somebody who like shaped your life, yeah, yeah. you know? Who has no idea who that has, they yeah, had so much of an impact. dude making a day rate <laughs> yeah. out there shooting boats. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, I really like your old stuff. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I'm like, you remember it? Yeah. Like, it, it, was, it was five years of my life. You should life. wake up every morning yeah. and be thinking about I would that. Watch that before school. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and it's like now doing what we do, I look back on the times that we had doing the wakeboarding stuff and you know, just early days and you had so much creative freedom. There was no yeah. one that you were answering to. Yeah. And it's it's like you're, you know, you're talking about Mark. Like he just went out and was like, hey, I want to do this on film. And no one, there was no one to be like, oh, we don't have the budget for that. He was carrying his own bucket of rocks, man. It, <laughs> yeah, was, exactly. it was like, people buy this on yeah. VHS. Like yeah. that's my only way to make money out of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, and that I, I do, I look back on that and I, I, I don't know. It's kind of like the not the glory days. I mean, I like making money, but it was also nice to just have complete freedom to be your own client. to just do whatever the whatever you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the extreme sports kind of thing it sounds kind of similar to my trip. Like yeah. it kind of where it all started. A lot of people get into it. From I feel that, like in yeah. in that way, skate skateboarding, wakeboarding, whatever it may be, riding dirt yeah. bikes. And you and I work together a lot. Like that's now, that's. Yeah. That's that needs to be said. I think is that um, we've kind of been partners in crime a little bit yeah. for the last for the last five years, very closely. Yeah. But even longer than that, really. Yeah. You know, working it's together. Been six or seven years. Yeah, probably now. so. I remember when I first um, when I first met you, it was on a Peyton Manning shoot 
at HP Video. It was all yep. green screen. You were the first camera assistant for Josiah Morgan. Yep. And uh, I was I was DITing it, um, which meant I was pulling the green screen keys and you know all that that Peyton was doing, flipping his ball, talking about going to you know whatever he was pushing at the time yeah. to Nova Hospital. Yeah. I think it was. And I met you that day yeah. and I was like, oh my God, there's another person here who does what I do. This is great. <laughs> Man, maybe we can work together down the road. And boy, that be careful what you wish. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't been able to shake me since. I mean, no, I hadn't. <laughs> well, we did a lot of stuff, um, a lot of stuff with with Michael Underwood. Yep. Um and Peter Moore. Yeah, we worked with them for a very long time. They got us some good... You got married. That's how I got that job. That's true. I was on my honeymoon, and I was like, hey, I think I've got a guy who can yeah. take care of you, Michael, yeah. Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was your probably biggest mistake, career move. <laughs> you about took my job. That's what, what happened. They were like, he's competent, and he doesn't drink as much at dinner. So, <laughs> but, dude, we, we've... Uh, we shot some cool stuff. Um, the there's a couple that come to mind as being a whole lot of fun. Um, we went to Canada a couple times and shot stuff with the Love It or List It yep. um, people, David and Hillary, who we also got to work with recently. I know it came full circle. It did. Like we yeah. worked with them about six months ago, but we but we worked with them in in Toronto a couple times, um, probably in 2000. I don't know, fifteen, yeah. maybe somewhere, yeah, somewhere around there. But but that was a that was a really great time. We almost both got fired on that shoot. Um, some of it was in focus. I think was the problem. It was the stuff that wasn't. And that was in your defense. It was some. It was tough. It was. It was, it was tough. The director was asking for some really shallow depth of field. Yeah. And then we did. Um, we did the. Um, the fixer upper people, well, uh, Chip oh, and Joanna yeah, Gaines, Chip and Joanna. before they were famous, it, it, they did, they had no idea what was coming. We didn't we either. Yeah, no, I mean, no one knew what was what was coming. But it was just yeah, that that was really cool to get to hang out with them at that point in time. Yeah, it was, and then to go back and hang out with yeah. them again, and yeah. to see like a couple years later, all this fame has fallen all over them. Yeah, and to me, they were still the same people. We went and ate dinner oh, at the yeah. same restaurant. Yeah, sat at 100%. you know the next table over, and yeah. you know the only difference now is the paparazzi was taking pictures of us. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know, exactly, we yeah, dinner. exactly. And I, you know, I think that has uh, that says a lot about people on the other side of the camera, like just so gotta staying, be so hard. But it's got to be hard. But I mean, staying humble is important, you yeah. know. And I think and being able to relate to people. Absolutely, and they've done a great job of that, and it's paid off. They're they're getting their own television yeah, network. Absolutely, they're taking DIY <clears throat> Network, which has been a uh, scripts discovery property yeah. now for a long time. Nineteen ninety nine is when yep. the network started. Yep, and now it is being rebranded. They want to call it Magnolia, but I think Mark Cuban already has the um the copyright on Magnolia Network is what I heard. That could be yeah. total bullshit, but yeah. I, I think that's I, I think that's <laughs> that's the way I, it goes. <laughs> yeah. But they're about to have their own television network because their show was so amazing. And then, you know, her Joanna, I see her on on uh she's got a publication uh a, a I mean, magazine. When, when you have a whole line of home goods at Target You've done something you, right. <laughs> I'd say they're You're sleeping easy at night. <laughs> yeah, I remember we were over at their house around Christmas time, and uh, and they had a, a whole crew of guys coming to while we were shooting there. They had a whole crew of guys coming to put up Christmas lights, and I was like, "Well, that's brilliant." I bet that keeps a lot of dads from breaking their necks right before Christmas. It's like just hire a bunch of hire a bunch of laborers and get them over here to hang Christmas lights yeah. for you. Yeah, like four or five people. Their house looked like a gingerbread house by the time we got done shooting that day. Yeah. So um, you grew up in Knoxville area, Lenore City, right? Lenore City. Yeah. How, how, born there, born in Knoxville? Where? Born in Knoxville, uh, was raised on a farm in Lenore City. How big? Uh, about 50 acres. That's parents, pretty big. Parents still live on it. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Family property. My, my, yeah, my, my young life started much different than where I ended up. I was, <clears throat> I was a bit of a farm boy. Yeah, I mean, you've still got a good amount of camouflage I see you wear every now and then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happens. So, did you go to 
school, public school, yep. origin went, home. Yeah. Went to public school um, all through, all in Lenore City. High school um, there too. Yep, went to high school there. What were you into around that time? Um, in high school, uh, like I said, my my life looked a lot different. I was in um, 4-H. I was showing cattle. Oh, nice. Uh, my dad managed a ranch in Utah that oh, I would go I out to about yeah, that. every summer. So you would spend a lot of your time in Utah? A ton of time in Utah. How, how big was that farm? That was about 3,000 acres. That's quite a bit bigger than the one yeah. you lived on. Yeah, with was, about 1,000 head of cattle on it. Really? Yeah. Was that one of those... Um, farms where the uh, cattle also graze on public land too. Yep. yep. So, okay, so it did like backed up to a national forest or something like that. Well, or how- they have what well, out there. They have BLM land, which well, is just basically public land that you can lease, and the cattle would go up there in the summer on about forty thousand acres. So that live. was. That and how'd was, you get them home? Is that 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 yeah? I that's mean, that, the job. That was the yeah. <laughs> is going to find all yeah. your cattle on forty thousand acres yeah. when it's time to it takes a lot of horses and a lot of guys I and bet. about a week just staying out there camping underneath the stars. Did you ever do that? Oh yeah, yeah. really? Yeah, that one, that that was my probably one of my favorite things. Yeah, out there. Was, so was your dad running the show and he yeah. you he you'd come up and help him and yeah. And I and I always like <clears throat> I always got kind of the. Uh, um, this I don't know if stereotypes the right word, but like, you know, there were really hardworking dudes out there, like legit like cowboys, real cowboys, not legit not the dress cowboys. up cowboys no, you see like in Livingston, Montana. My dad had hired time. these guys that were from Australia, and they were like that. That's all they knew was going out and gathering cattle. They knew cattle like the back of their hands. Mm-hmm. They knew the cattle better than they knew their wives. Yeah. <laughs> And so I think I always kind of got the, um, I was kind of, you know, the manager's son going out there and they had to like baby me. So it like always made me want to, you know, elevate my level of toughness. You were one more head to feed every night when they were out there. Yeah, exactly. But I, I, I think I, for the most part, proved my worth. I mean, they, by the end of it, we were all pretty, pretty close. How many, how long did that go on? That was, oh God, that was from seventh grade through probably my senior year. I spent a lot of summers out there in high school that I didn't want to spend out there. But now looking back on it, I actually had a conversation with someone about this not too long ago. Those, I'm very thankful for it now. I'm I'm not thankful for the attitude I had while I was out there. Nobody's thankful for the attitude (laughs) they had when they were 14. Yeah. Yeah. But now looking back on it, you know, I, I have great stories and experiences, life experiences that I can look back on when a lot of people were just kind of sitting at home playing video games. Yeah. And I'm I'm really thankful. It's even for that. worse now. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean being in high school and going out with a bunch of fifty year old men who cuss like sailors <laughs> and like, you know, drank all day, just finding like going out looking for cattle. I mean that yeah, I mean that was it was amazing. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. So then High school ended, and then did you start to get into the camera uh, film world at that point? No, or? not no. well. I, I mean, not really. I, I wanted to go into agricultural business. I wanted to. I wanted to get in the big farming game. Yeah, I've got um, a, a couple buddies who do that, and yeah, they do well. Yeah, um, they yeah. do really well. They move around a lot. It seems like yeah, kind of go and in, into places that. You know, not not we're not talking metropolises yeah. that they're moving to either. They're going to places yeah. where agriculture is really big, which yeah. takes you kind of away from Absolutely. big cities. It seems like. So, what drove you? What what took you away from that path? Um, I think that I held on to the romanticism that was like the ranch lifestyle, and then I got into what agricultural business is all about, and it's monocrops. It's how plants reproduce it's looking through microscopes a lot and it's not <clears throat> it's not the like grit and grind that i was kind of used to doing and i mean that's obviously still a yeah it's a not position. as hands-on it's no, it, a little it's, bit it's m- not, more of a kind of salesy thing a it, little bit I, right I mean, if you want to make a good career at it you know that's it's mm-hmm. more of a it's more of from a scientific point yeah. of view and then which, the <clears throat> the microscope thing part comes in when you know, uh, uh, I guess a um, a farmer says, "Well, something's not working here. 
and I, and I'm ordering fifty truckloads of this stuff yeah. from you every year. You yeah. got to change something if yeah. it's going to keep working. What's going and it on? It makes sense that it has to go that way. Sure. And I mean, I saw that when I was out on the ranch with my dad. Like we would have people from UT come out and look at the. We we grew alfalfa. University of Tennessee or yeah. Texas? Yeah. Tennessee? University of Tennessee. Gotcha. <clears throat> we grew alfalfa hay on the ranch, and that alfalfa hay would go straight to places like Churchill Downs and these. Really, is that high end hay? Yeah, like really high end hay for racehorses. And it had to feed the half a million dollar horses right before they go out and race. Exactly. And so those, those hays, they like they had to be very specific. They had to have a certain level of nutrition in them. They had to have you know stuff that's way beyond me. So and I and I know that that stuff's like super critical, but that just wasn't what I loved about farming. And I you know when I grew up, my dad just had cattle on his farm. But then when he got this position on this ranch, it became much more managerial and like he wasn't hands-on. And that was the part that I loved so much was just working with my hands. Yeah. Somebody told me the other day about getting, you know, promoted and promoted and promoted. And it's like, you know, I used to be the artist, the graphic designer, whatever yep. it was. And now I'm still that same person, but I'm doing spreadsheets all day long. It's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not why I got into this. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. It happens though. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was at uh, Pellissippi Community College here in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. And um, I just could not focus on the stuff I was learning in botany class and, you know, all these things learning about plants. And I just, I, I got to a point where I just, I came to my parents and I was like, this is not, I can't do this. And they're like, well, you know, do something that you want to do and, you know, find that this, this is your time to do that. And, um, I used to write a lot, um, when I was in high, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Like write short stories and stuff like that. When I was in high school, I always really did well in English. And my mom was like, why don't you, you know, think about doing something like that. My dad was not as keen on that. Well, he's a, he's a cowboy. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's very practical. Yeah. He's, he sells things on Etsy. He's yeah. Huge disappointment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Stole that. Uh, so I, I decided, um, I decided to kind of like look into the creative field. And, um, at the time, Pellissippi was getting a lot of funding from the Bagwell family and they were, um, who was a big, a big deal big, over at HGTV when yep. that all started and yep. scripts got HGTV. Exactly. Okay. So, so ba- the Bagwells who are kind of a, a production family, yeah. well-known household name in Knoxville. Yeah. They were putting a lot of money into Pellissippi and growing their video production. So they could have good recruits coming so, yeah, out of college to have, hire at their, exactly. At their they could have people to come over and work for them at scripts. Um, so I, yeah, I kind of went into it thinking that I was going to write. And, um, then <laughs> I, uh, I met some people at Pellissippi, which not to knock Pellissippi at all when I say this, but I mean, great it's a technical not, school. It's a great technical school, yeah. but it, you know, it's not a NYU film school, sure. yeah. but I quickly realized the people that were there for writing were much better than I was. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I'm going to hang out with the guys in the tech lab, yeah. learn how to do the ones and twos on these exactly. cameras over here. But I, yeah, I, I started getting behind the camera and I was like, wow, I, <clears throat> I've never, I never really had a camera. Um, my uncle gave me a 35 millimeter camera when I was really young, but I never really paid much attention to it. But then I started kind of seeing that I had an interesting perspective um, you through, do through a lens, and I I held on to that, and I've held on to it ever since. I think that what kind was, of camera was it? Was it a still camera? No, this was uh, oh gosh, this was probably an EX one, the like like you were saying, mini DV oh, type camera. Yeah, and um, yeah, and <clears throat> back to the wakeboarding thing. I was really into wakeboarding, and I was like, well, my friends are doing interesting things. Mostly skateboarding yeah. and wakeboarding. And, and they I want to document wanna, it. I didn't want to skateboard because I didn't want to get hurt. <laughs> so I was like, well, I can still hang out with them and just film them doing it. That's safer. how I am with my fly fishing buddies. I'm like, I'm awful at fly fishing. <laughs> yeah. But I've got a bunch of awesome cameras. Yeah. I'll film you. <laughs> I'll film. Let me catch one fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me crank that tune in for you. Yeah. yeah, after you've got your belly full. Yeah, exactly. On a bunch of them. So... Yeah. But yeah, then that that's that's where it all 
really began for and, me. And then you went to Nashville from there, right? I did. I and graduated. Did film school, right? And um, yeah, I went to Nashville. I wanted to go into, like I said, narrative work. Yeah. Um, like uh, <clears throat> movies and, and hour-long TV yeah. dramas and stuff? I wanted to go to Hollywood. Yeah. I've um, been there. Yeah. <laughs> Live there. I can't go back. Came back. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah I've spent some time out there. I've been yeah I've been in a lot of trouble. I spent a month out there one weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the perfect way of saying that. Um, but yeah, I I went to I, yeah I went to Nashville trying to trying to break into the more creative side. Like as you were saying earlier, Pellissippi is very technical. Yeah. I mean it, they're raising people to be in television. Yeah, and I wanted to. Uh, I wanted the world to see the artist that I was. Oh man! Yeah, yeah. I'm still waiting. On that. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. Um, Watkins. Yeah, Watkins Film School. Went okay. there. Um, got my bachelor's degree. Um, okay. Met a lot of great people there. Uh, a lot of people hate on film school because they say it's kind of you know pointless, but it's really hard. I mean, you know, it's really hard to get into this industry without knowing people. It is, and that was the like. And my, knowing your shit too, and, and that's yeah, what film school helps with is knowing does. your shit. It really does. Yeah. And then there was there were a lot of great people there that really knew that, like, hey, we have to send these kids out with a certain amount of knowledge, mm-hmm. even though they already think they're directors. Yeah, they have to know how to make good coffee. They have to know what a C stand is. They have to know certain yeah, things because if not, it reflects poorly on our program. Yeah, but exactly. if you see a, a stud on set and say, "How'd you get where you're going?" Well, yeah. I went to Watkins. And- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, that I think the the best thing that happened to me at Watkins was just meeting people really? because there was still a lot. But of But you people. learned a lot of shit too because I did. when I met you right out of there, you yeah. were you were a stud already. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you are. Yeah. I, I, I could tell that yeah. you were you were already kind of there. Well, and it was it was really great. I <clears throat> I always um, there were a lot of people there that wanted to direct. And everybody wants to. Everybody direct. wants to direct. I just wanted to shoot. Yeah. I just I literally just wanted to shoot things. So I there was myself and another guy, Jake McPherson, and we just wanted to be cinematographers. Literally, all we wanted to do. We told all our professors that. And we shot everything. We everyone's project, you know, all fifty directors in the yeah. fifty-two person class. Yeah, you, and yeah. I learned so much through that because, fortunately, there were kids that went to that school who did have a lot of money <laughs> and could spend them on their films. And we would we would have great meetings where I'm like, you know, I know you really want to shoot digital, but I really think this project would be great mm-hmm. on thirty-five millimeter. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, a Panavision rental is only two thousand dollars a day. We should yeah. be able to get a good fifteen day shoot out of yeah. that for your your you know your trust. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I you know I got the I was really fortunate to get to shoot a lot of film. I yeah. I you know, and I I that that taught me a ton. Taught me a ton about digital. Yeah. Um, it taught me a ton about just workflow and how a set should flow. It to me the film thing that's so important <clears throat> that I see with people who worked with film as a medium and work in the digital space now is the people that worked in film respect the roll camera part of it. Absolutely. They get their shit right before they press go because they know that it is money every time you press go uh, until you press my, stop. My biggest, like the, the thing that annoys me more than anything on set is roll camera. Okay, so what you're going to do in this scene well, is... <laughs> that 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 is one, but it's like, all right, let's do a rehearsal. Let's just go ahead and roll on it just in yeah. case. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I get it. I, yeah. I get the idea behind it, but it's like, no, there's a rehearsal for a reason. You yeah. know, everybody gets to watch the performance. Everybody yeah. gets to, you know... So the beauty of a lot of stuff of the stuff that you and I shot with Underwood is by the time we said roll camera, it, we, we had, had it. we already had the best moments <laughs> we, yeah. because you yeah. know we had you know yeah. Michael being the people whisperer, yeah, you know that he is, yeah, was able to you know not let you know and people are unencumbered when they yeah. don't when when there's not twelve grips looking yeah. at them, you know, absolutely, and when they're just out there being them and doing their thing, you're getting great moments yeah. that they don't even know you got, <laughs> yeah. And that that's something that I really took away and appreciated about our time with him was, you know, you look back on a lot of great cinematographers and they started in documentary filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, going into it, I never wanted to do documentary filmmaking because I just thought it was not, 
as glamorous as narrative yeah. work. But now it's like, if you make a really good documentary that looks like a movie, yeah. you have accomplished more than what most people who make movies, make movies have, do. have done. Absolutely. I because mean, you, you've got a, you've got a tougher uh, a deck of cards or tougher hand of cards to oh, play. I think yeah, way harder. Yeah. Way harder. Yeah. Agreed. So I, I've come to appreciate that the the people that can do that. Me too. Where, where it's like, you know, I mean, I know I said it's annoying <laughs> where it's like roll on the rehearsal, but it's, you know, there, there are certain sets and there are certain shoots that lend themselves to, let's just shoot everything. We'll find the great moments. And it's about putting yeah. the camera where it wants to be. But see, that that's what bothers me too is like, Magic's in the can. Yeah. You know, when somebody yeah. comes back from a shoot and is like, well, I shot for 18 hours and, you know, surely there's got to be a good story in there yeah. somewhere. Well, it's and only going like, to take us two weeks to go through it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so if you, if you have a plan going in, and I think that's what gets people excited about narrative work too, yeah. is about like taking a vision and realizing it on set right then. Yeah. And the whole, you know, stories told three times. I've talked about this before. It's like, you know, when you write it, when you shoot it, when you edit it, and everybody, you know, gets to put their put their own spin on it. And when you really feel like you're telling a story when you pull the trigger on the camera, yeah, that's really nice and really, really fun. But the stakes are high, too. You know, if yeah. you didn't get what you needed, yeah. you know, there's not 18 hours of B-roll to bail you out because yeah. you just shot, you know, what yeah. you needed and a little bit more. Yeah. When, and when I was at Watkins, uh, I worked with a really great director, Charlie Kinganis. Um, he was one of my professors. And he dr- always drove the point home. Your work, the the real work, the work that really matters, that really makes you creative, is done well before you ever step on. Fix set. it in pre. Yeah, I mean, it's it just that. I mean, that just makes sense. Time and time again, I see so many productions fail, unfortunately, because it was like, well, we'll just get on set and it'll be fine. Yeah. But it's not fine. I mean, that's not the time to be... You can't be creative under pressure like that. I, I think it puts a lot of... Uh, it puts a lot of pressure on the post side. It does. And, and I think yeah. that you need to have just as capable people on the post side. Yeah. You, have, you need directors in post. If that's yeah. the case, you know, if yeah. it's just let's show up and get it, like, yeah. you know, you need just as um, just as uh, creative and um, hungry storytellers yeah. on the post side to be able to want to go and craft this this huge amount of stuff yeah. into their story. Yeah. It's really big. Yeah. So after Watkins was over, did you stay in Nashville? I did. I stayed in Nashville for, oh gosh, probably three or four years, just freelancing. Um, in the camera department? Yep. Camera assistant. Started as a second AC. Started getting more first AC jobs. That's um, when I met you, were first AC focus puller when yep, I met you. Yep. Um, did a little bit of camera operating. That was right when, um, <clears throat> I mean, not to get too technical for people not in the industry, but the Movi, um, the the gimbal. Yeah, the stabilization, stabilization gimbal. Now yeah. they have them for your phones that you hold in your hand, <laughs> yeah, and they're exactly. better than the ones that we they were learning. They have them at Best Buy. I saw yeah. them today. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that that came out, and I, I got really interested in that. I but thought that was film something. was pretty much gone by then, right? Uh, yeah, I the, mean, the, digital was. When around. I got out of film school, I worked on maybe five jobs that They're involved still shot actual film. film, and that was right around the same time as the Canon five D, which right. I think is going to have a statue in this business by the time it's said and done, just because of all the <laughs> yeah. change it made. You know, it I'm, wouldn't be a, maybe a good statue. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be like one of those dictator statues that <laughs> a, one day will. Down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> drag out of here with an f-350 yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah but yeah. i think it it got what, what it did is it kind of it made it accessible for everybody it got it, it more on the prosumer level because yeah. those cameras were able to make really pretty pictures that weren't film yeah but they were damn close man yeah, i yeah, mean they, they, looked they looked great and yeah. they were high definition yeah and you know, everybody had one, and everybody shot one, and everybody tried to shoot one. And there's some beautiful stuff that yeah. people have done yeah. on those things. But it was such a like pivotal tool, I yeah. think, in our business. And it happened right around the same time that the you know the red one was trying to get yep. footing, coming in as being a, a digital cinema camera. Yep. You know, well, when I was in film school, was when the red one came out, and I remember being a senior. And we always got a 35 millimeter camera every year from a local rental house. And I remember having film that I wanted to shoot. And I mean, obviously you need people to help you 
like shoot film. It, yeah. It's not a one man job. No, it's at least three to work the camera. <laughs> yeah. And I remember being in cinematography class begging these younger kids to come help me. But my cinematography teacher had bought a red one and no one, no one even cared. No one even wanted to come shoot film. And I, I, you know, I tried to, I, I mean, now looking back on it, I was young and naive, but I was trying to preach to these kids. Like, do you understand what you, the opportunity you have yeah. right here? Yeah. But get I, off my I, digital log. I probably should have been listening to them because that's where the industry was going. Because <laughs> they hired me a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. They're doing awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They have, they're executive producers now. <laughs> so it's fine. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I I do miss the the film days. Though. Yeah, I yeah, me it. too. But it's gone. It's and gone for us can. anyway. It's yeah. gone for us. It's yeah. still there for a lot of. A I lot still of, have three rolls of thirty five millimeter yeah, set in my fridge. In the fridge at home. Yeah, <laughs> waiting. So, what was your first kind of like? What was your first gig on set where you were like, "Man, this is a real big deal," and I am a very important part of this. Um. <clears throat> well. It started out, I was a camera PA. This was a 35 millimeter job. It was at Jack Daniels. Um, I was still in film school. And the second assistant camera, she got sick. And she was one of the people that was really pivotal in introducing me to a lot of people in the industry. And she was the reason that I was on that job as a camera PA. And um, the DP had just gotten off shooting one of the new Avenger movies as a second unit DP and his first AC was with him. Um, Super intimidating guy, but um, he was like, well, what, what are we going to do when she got sick? And she was like, well, I, I will vouch for Cody. He can, he can second AC. And uh, he was like, well, does he know what sticks are? And, you know, for all the listeners, it's tripod. (laughs) And I, you know, I, I had overheard this conversation. I was like, yeah, I know what six are. I know what a head, a head is. And, you know, I can, I can help you out. And, um, it, I mean, it wasn't, it was a super low stress job. N- looking back on it, at that point, my stomach was in my throat. Sure. And I was like, that's what makes you good, though. The yeah, conscientious. My, if I did feeling. have a Fitbit at that point, my heart rate would probably have been about 130. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I got, I got, I just got on set and I, I started talking to the film loader and he was talking about how critical the slate was about how, that's the only way they have identifying this stuff for the editors. And it was super quick turnaround. I actually think it was a Super Bowl piece and we were shooting like in December. So, I mean, it was super quick turnaround for this commercial. So the edit stuff had to be ready. Yeah. So his part was important. Exactly. And I just, I got to a point where I was like, you know, holy shit. Like I'm just clapping the slate and no one's ever going to see my part on screen, but like I'm critical in this whole puzzle that's coming together yes and that that was the point where i was like oh my god yeah i want to do this for the rest of my life like it's cool to get out there and even though you're a little man on the totem pole to still realize like shit this thing could not go on without me yeah yeah that's like if if i if i messed up right now i'm costing someone tens of thousands of dollars and i think a lot of people would shy away from that but for some reason i was like i want to do this yeah i want someone else's money in my hands yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah so where'd it go from there the from there you know i just kept a scene i um i left film school i kind of kind of i didn't quit shooting short films but i realized the value in what i was doing and just trying to make it in the industry um and trying to make it through the camera department you know, directors of photography come one of two ways. They come from the camera department or they come from the lighting side. I I saw that as more digital cameras were on set, more assistant cameramans, people coming from the camera department were coming up as directors of photography. And um, I just, I, you know, I tried to stay on that path and, um, you know, met someone, Decided to settle down a little bit more and come back to Knoxville after that, after working on a lot of great pieces. Like, like What'd you work on in Nashville? A ton of commercial work. Um, we did a lot of stuff. Um, to, I mean, there's a ton of Super Bowl commercials, Captain D's, a um, lot of music videos. Um, yeah, that, a, music videos kind of going away at that they point. Were, they but, were. But the ones that were around were big ones, right? They, because they they were, were the labels ones. were paying yeah, for them. Yeah. It wasn't just like a, you know some 
one of those videos, <laughs> rap videos we watched today where yeah, you exactly. get all your buddies to come out and <laughs> yeah. set up the camera. Just wilding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they were, you know, we, I was fortunate enough to work with um, some people, you know, Taylor Swift, Tim McGraw, Keith Urban. Um, got to work on a really cool series for um, Billy Ray Cyrus. Um, was that the uh, Still the King one? Still the King. Yep. Yeah. Worked on the pilot for that. Pre Old Town Road, by the way. <laughs> Pre Old Town Road. Yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah that was a lot of fun you worked um, on nashville the show i worked on nashville for the first season um in the camera department that was a big show that kept a lot of people in that city very a busy lot. for a long time a lot and there are a couple of people in knoxville who i know that also paid their mortgages for two years because of that show absolutely there was um you know they kept trying to move it to los angeles really um, because at one point they were like we're shooting on a stage we yeah. got all the exteriors. Right. We're good. But, you know, Nashville held strong. And, and honestly, I mean, to the level of like government, you know, they, that they yeah. were like, they were pulling to keep this, this show they had to, in town. Because Tennessee doesn't have the tax incentives. Yeah. Which is a big deal. It's for, huge. for production. Because it's when huge. you're spending a million dollars and you get 20% of it back in a yeah. state, yeah. that's a big deal. And yeah. that's low, low, low budget stuff. Yeah. When you're spending 30, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a very considerable amount of money. Absolutely. And that's why states like North Carolina did so well around the Wilmington days with like One Tree Hill and all that yep. stuff. They had great yep. film incentives. Louisiana did too for a long Georgia's time. Georgia's feeling it now. Georgia They're is getting... on fire because of it. Yep. And Atlanta is stupid. Yep. Um, you yep. know, I've heard, you know, I I don't know. Everybody I know, you know, if you want to meet somebody who's actually from Los Angeles, I think you go to Atlanta because <laughs> that's where they work now. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so yeah, worked on Nashville. Um, and that was that was a great experience for me, and yeah. that that quickly taught me that I do not want to be in television. <laughs> really? Yeah, because it was Long it was a days. grind. It was a grind. Um, yeah. So just because of like unions and all that, like there's you have to take time off, right? You yeah. Ha- you can't just work people twenty hours a day f- for two weeks, right? Yep. yep. So, you know, stories I've heard, it's like, well, we worked sixteen hour days, and yep. then you have a a a required amount of turnaround time. You got to let people go home for eight hours or whatever it is. Yep. And then, you know, by the time you're at Friday, you know, you've backed it up to where your call time's 4 p.m. Yeah. You know, and you're wrapping it 10 a.m. or whatever yeah, exactly. it is. exactly. And then you sleep all weekend. Yeah, and, and then, well, until Monday, which is only about 18 hours away <laughs> yeah, by now. Exactly. And, then, and then you go back in at 6 a.m. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and it, you know, I just... It it felt to me that it was more of a technician position. It was more just factory worker and punching the clock more than it was like trying to um, create trying something? to be creative. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, there are creatives in that obviously. Yeah, but they're above the line, right? They're above the line. Yeah, and and when you when you work on something like a movie, I mean, a movie's thirty days, maybe more, thirty to forty five days, but still, like everyone feels like they're still involved in that whole process you get to a certain point on a tv show working on it for six months and it's just you are a technician yeah and but that i mean it's not a bad thing people love that yeah and you make great money doing it yeah i mean you make great money doing it yeah and it's work though yeah but there's something about it that just gets me going man yeah i talked to matt honkinen about it when he was here it's just like something just fires you up when you're on there when you're on set it's like something just feels feels good you feel like you're you're making something, and you're making something well, you with feel people. Very fortunate. If you if you're with the right team, you do. Yeah, you, you feel know? very fortunate. I've worked on a lot of stuff too, where whoever was in charge was was treating their people poorly, and you know, not very excited about what they were getting, and it trickles all the way down. Yeah, it does. all the way down. When absolutely. the bigger the crew, the bigger the trickle, and absolutely, you know, it can. That's where you hear the the horror stories from. Yeah. yeah. So the commercial kind of stuff is kind of where you landed, it seems like to me. Yeah. Because, was that because of, of that? Because commercials, the thing, I don't want to speak for you, but I mean, I, I know that world too. And, and it commercials are cool because they're two-day shoots, they're mm-hmm. three-day shoots, they're one-day shoots. You've got a good budget yep. if you've done it right. Yep. You've got a good budget. You've got time to prep. You yep. know exactly what you're going in to shoot. You go in and you shoot it, and, you, and it's great. Yeah. 
and you move on to the next job. Well, and the reality is <clears throat> if you're if you're not an established person and you don't live in LA, you're not gonna probably get in the movie industry. Yeah. I mean it's just I you mean you have to be a factory as much as I mentality. Heard, as much as I heard going through everything that everything was moving out of Los Angeles, everything's still very much in Los Angeles. It all yeah, starts it there is. at least. I was looking at a Phantom 4K, the the Shark Week fil- the Shark Week camera, the one they used to, yeah. you know, shoot all the super super yeah. high speed 1000 frames a second stuff. It was like, you know, you I was looking at all the text today, all the registered text for it and you know, Louisiana has 3 and you know, yeah. Georgia has 15 and California has 376. (laughs) It's like, it's very skewed. Yeah. It's very skewed. There's there's still a lot of work out there. No, there, yeah, a ton of work. And I, and I I still think that that's where it all at least originates. Yeah. But yeah, if you're wanting to get into the, the movie industry, you really got to be in somewhere like Los Angeles or New York. Where they're shooting features. Exactly. And you got to do the same thing you did, which is somebody's yep. got to get sick and you work your way yep. in. You know? Exactly. It's, it's kind of the, the trip. And you have to be good, too. Yeah, you do. That's the baseline. Yep. But, right? you know, you can be anywhere and shoot commercials. There's businesses everywhere, and they need commercials. It's and, true, and ad agencies are a big part of that too. And, and that is a huge part. And there's you know a lot more ad agencies, and it's just you know you you get partnered up with those kinds of groups, and they like your style, or they just like like you mm-hmm. as a person, and they need stuff. Yeah, and they need and they need work, and you're available, and it yeah it it works out. So I I you're right. I mean it's it's one of those things. Commercials are great because it's. It, you get to stretch your creative legs, mm-hmm. but it's not a huge time suck. So you and I are, are we've got a shoot for the Food Network coming up in coming up next month, we and do. and we're talking about camera robots, and we're yeah. talking about thousand frames a second frame rate, yeah. And those are tools that people use, you know, on real stuff yeah. you know yeah and big stuff and sometimes big stuff doesn't ha- even have the budget to use that yeah those kinds of things so i feel like we're still getting to use our tools to get our craft out there and still getting to play in the sandbox a little bit yeah you know without having to devote a you know a, a lifestyle of you know yeah. 18 hour days strung together for two months absolutely and it feels it feels like it's no, a it decent decision crazy. especially to live in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, yeah. where we live. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, well, and I, I feel like, you know, I always feel pretty secure in what we do because no matter what way people are ingesting media, like media is king, you know? Content? Con- yeah. Content is Con- king. Content <laughs> is king. I mean, it's, it's being made so much. And like, mm-hmm. even if it starts out as this small thing, you know, like you think about like social media starting out as like Vine. We talked about that like earlier. That. Like it started out being the fledgling thing. And then now, now it's grown it's, into Like you have shoots place. that have pretty big budgets that strictly go to Instagram. Yeah. You know? And so it's, it, I, I, yeah. I, I, feel like I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I, I think that we're really fortunate to be in that space where we can Absolutely. still play in those big time sandboxes. Yeah. But not have to drive three hours to work every day, which yeah. I've done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Or or spend 16 hours a day for six days. Working for a monster director. When we have families at home. Yeah. 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 And kids. Families change that. Dude, something you and I talked about. Um, a little while back that we all both got super pumped about and we've always kind of come in and out of this space is um, the butcher scandal. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So, so it's funny. I, I I mentioned that on the last podcast that I did. Did and this you? Was, Maybe that's what rung that little God, bell. This was, this was at least five or six years ago and I wasn't talking about it. You know, because, but at this point, keeping I'm it just, close to the vest, just, I'm like, I'm not doing anything with this. What am I doing? <laughs> Give it to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that whole, uh, that whole narrative, though, I think is something that could be. That's a story that needs to be told. Very man. interesting for yeah. the Knoxville world. Not it, just that, man. I mean, it is a story that, um, I don't want to say it's archetypal, but it is just a story of, of, of you know 
corruption that affected (laughs) a hell of a lot of people. A lot of people. It's not even funny to laugh about. Because I mean, there are are people that literally live in Knoxville now that are like severely affected by this. And they don't talk about it. And that's why you don't hear about it. That that that's kind of the comedy behind it. It's like there, you talk to most people who have lived in Knoxville their entire lives and they don't know about it. It's it, it was a black spot. Totally. On Knoxville's history. Yeah. A huge black spot. Yeah. People just try to forget about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Because people, people that are alive today like lost everything yeah. because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was um, a couple of brothers, um, Jake Butcher and C.H. Butcher. And yeah. their dad owned some banks. Is that yeah. kind of how it went? Their, their dad owned a rural bank, in, Rur- a uh, rural, ba- rural, <laughs> rural bank. Um, and yeah, they, you know, they decided to get into the banking industry and family biz. I was given this story by a um, a friend of mine. Well, let's hit a, let's hit it like like big broad. big picture. Yeah. So what yeah, happened was these guys. So they they started banking when they were relatively young, and they're maybe late twenties or early thirties. Yeah, could be wrong yeah. about that, but I think yeah. that's about right. Yeah, that's around. They this. built a, a a banking empire. Yeah. Ultimately, it wasn't. I mean, I think it was less than a dozen banks, maybe or something yeah. like that. But it it stretched a long way up and down. It did, East and I think they put them on the interstates. So they put them yep. where they had high visibility. People trusted them. People yep. saw their logo all the time. Yep. And so people put their money there, right? Yep. And what they did to be able to invest people's money and make m- money off of it was that they weren't insured by the FDIC. Yeah. That, and so <laughs> to make it look like they had yeah. more money than they did. When they would get examined, they would move their money yeah. from bank to bank they to were bank. Playing, playing the shell game. They were playing a shell game. They were moving yeah. it over to this bank. They were moving it over to that bank. And, and yeah. It, you know, yeah, we've got twelve million at this one, but all of our other eight branches also have yeah. twelve million at them. Go check them tomorrow. Yeah, you'll you'll have twelve yeah. million there, yeah. and they move yeah. the twelve million down the road to the yeah. other bank. Which that that's the one part that I haven't been able to figure out. That I don't know if anyone really knows, other than maybe the FBI, about how they knew when people were coming to to, to audit these yeah. banks. Well, it's probably like a drug test. It's like, you're getting a drug test next week. <laughs> yeah. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure at that time in the 80s, that so was... So it's funny yeah. you mentioned the FBI because I know the guy who arrested Jake Butcher at McGee Tyson yeah. Airport, and it's, I want to talk to him. Yeah. His name's Bob Gibson. He's an FBI agent. And he's an accountant by trade, and he was watching. He'd moved down here from Chicago, yeah, f- f- to to work this case, and he yeah. was, you know, working it for I, I want to say a couple years before he ever put the cuffs on him. Yeah, well, and, they they opened a uh, Market Square, which is the our like kind of local downtown hub. Mm-hmm. They opened a a false business in there, a paper company, really, to get in to to be financed by. The banks. Well, I'm sure that they had a lot of false business. <laughs> yeah. I think all yeah. their business was false. If yeah. you if you read the book, it's true. But they built yeah. both the build both the tallest buildings in downtown Knoxville, they right? Did. Yep. Yeah, yep. and um, still standing. Yeah, and the World's Fair coming here in 1982 yep. to Knoxville, the Sun's Fear. Yep, Jake's erection, they call it, was was a big deal. Um, I've never heard that. You have it? No. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they. Jake Butcher also ran for, I think it was governor of he, Tennessee. Yeah, governor. He against ran against uh, Lamar Has- Alexander. Or Lamar Alexander. Yeah. Yep. And he lost. Yep, he did. Yeah. But not um, by much. I think it was 74, 78. Yeah. Probably 78 Super, sounds right. Yeah. Very yeah. close. Um, and then, so ultimately, they got the World's Fair brought here, mostly on the backs of their, you know, yep. showboating and, yep. and money and all yep. that. And then um, it all came crumbling down after kind of the world's fair left town and then yeah. they started to yeah. go look at all these banks and say um wait a second there's not any money here and yeah. people were like well but but hold on i had you know i had three hundred thousand dollars invested here and they're like well sorry it wasn't insured by the yep. fdic it's gone it government she owns gone it now. yeah <laughs> it's sad man yeah it's, it's, no, it's, it's incredibly sad, sad. Yeah. and somebody also and i don't know if this is true or not but somebody told me like charlotte and knoxville were the same size in 1982. Yeah. And roughly the same, you know, 
socioeconomic like kind of level. And yep. and Charlotte is now like a banking capital. It's yep. a really big city. Yeah. And a lot of people, I think, at least the people I've talked to have have maybe somewhat credited that to just a terrible um a, a terrible you know financial crisis that yeah. happened locally in yeah. a little micro world. Yeah. You know, a, across just a couple years in the 80s. Yeah. And I, well, and Knoxville's always kind of been known as like a little bit of a rebellious town. I mean, yeah. we're scruffy. That's I've heard that about us <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I actually went on a ghost tour, um, and I and I'm not going to remember any specific facts about this, but we went by the courthouse, and they the the tour guide was talking about how many um, famous outlaws came through Knoxville. I believe it, and got busted here. Because you know they left out west, they came back here, and like Knoxville was like the the hardest, scruffiest town, you know, east of the Mississippi for a while, and they you know they come here and lay low, and it was just it, it, you know you think about Knoxville now, but I mean it, it's interesting you think about Knoxville when you know and when you and I were growing up and like you didn't go downtown, you know there was uh-uh. nothing down there, but now no. it's absolutely it's a metropolis. Yeah, yeah, it's thriving. have you read Sutry? I haven't, no. I started to. It's a tough read. Yeah. 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 Um, have you read any of Cormac McCarthy's books? I have, yeah. yeah have you read um, The Road? Yep. Oh, the Road's yeah. pretty the road's, awesome. The Road's one of my favorite books. Have you read No Country for Old Men? Oh, absolutely. Have you? Yeah. So uh, Cormac McCarthy was from Knoxville, right? <laughs> he was from Knoxville. <laughs> yeah. 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 Suchery talks a lot about the the Tennessee River and, and yeah. all that, and it's... It, you know the the first uh, thirty pages of it that I read, I was like, yeah, you know, that's I know the I know these spots he's talking about. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, you already know this, but I uh, actually named my son after Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, good, good, good on segue. You. Yeah, um, yeah. I, um, I, you know, I think there's a there's a lot of great creatives that have came from this area, and yeah. it's came from a lot of hardship. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It's it's the well, the scruffy little city that could is what the yeah what the billboard says <laughs> um so coming from that like almost farm life background mm-hmm. all the way to you know stardom <laughs> complete, <laughs> complete stardom fame. complete fame yeah, total fame in fact my guy's telling me i gotta be out of here in five minutes <laughs> my agent's knocking on the door right now <laughs> yeah, exactly um you still like have kind of kept that a little bit though the the old school stuff. You still hunt. You still fish. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, absolutely. So you've been bow hunting a lot, right? Yeah, I've been bow hunting a ton recently. <laughs> I you're kind prob- of a degenerate. Probably, about it. <laughs> probably way more than I should. Yeah, I uh, um, yeah i I like to keep in touch with my creative side from being outdoors. That that was the the thing that sparked it for me being, you know, out West and just being outside. I mean, I grew up hunting and fishing and I just, I don't know. I think that, um, to be politically correct, I think a lot of people would think I was a little bit on the, the weird side as far as like East Tennessee goes, because I always like, you know, a little bit light in the loafer. Is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, we'd go out and be like, Oh my God, guys, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Look at that. Can you believe like, that? Sunset? Will you just shoot the damn deer? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll look at the sun right now. Um, yeah. I, I always, I, yeah, I always just really enjoyed that. And I, I enjoyed reading works from people that, um, that really spent a lot of time outdoors and really understood it and really understood that there was a lot of, you know, not, not in a political way, but a lot of consequences for our actions and everything. And like how, how important it is for us to sometimes just go outside and just be really still and just really understand what's going on around us. You can, you can being quiet and not talking to anyone. You can figure out a lot about yourself. Mm -hmm. I get scared to death, man. (laughs) A lot of people, you know, that's, (laughs) I try to take people hunting a lot, and they're like, "Man, I don't want to be that quiet for that long. I'll start thinking about some shit I don't want to think about." <laughs> you were, just, oh my god, my uncle. Oh, yeah. you, you were telling me the other day about um, taking a couple guys fishing, and they were younger than you um, by a few years, maybe ten years or so. And um, you guys got up in the in the woods, you're going fishing, and you got up out of the uh, out of cell phone service, and they just fucking flipped. <laughs> they out. lost it. 
They lost it. One of them accidentally closed out of their GPS and they lost their absolute shit about it. They're like, oh my God, what do we do? We don't know where we're going. And I'm like, just reach underneath my seat, pulled out my atlas. And I'm like, we're good. You know, I, I don't know. I feel like you and I are like the last, That that's like the last age of like being able to understand. Well, we were talking about that with our intern. He was he didn't really care to know how to figure out which way's north, which way's south, which way's east, which way's west, mm-hmm. you know. And I was like, what if your phone dies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Huh>? yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't I think there's a um <clears throat> like I said, I think there's a certain romanticism about being um an outdoorsman and uh I I don't I don't go around bragging about that very often, but I just like I try to keep in touch with that yeah you know i mean i think i think so i think with with what we providing. do being so that, okay that that's the that's the one thing that like i always you know you can go to the grocery store is that that's what drives easy. you about it though like uh, you want to be in, like okay if the shit hits a fan i can go out and kill yeah. a deer for my son and we can eat for the whole winter a hundred percent really yeah no okay. it really is and i mean that, I, I, don't it, want, dude. I don't want i think that's awesome like, like prepper or anything but like you know i've i've spent a lot of time <laughs> you got a bunch of nickels buried in your backyard <laughs> Got enough water and, you know, canned food. No, I I spent a lot of time Christmas shopping. We're coming up on Christmas. The thing that I've thought about most is the meal that I'm going to prep, like prepare for my family from the deer that I harvested this year. That's awesome. That That's the thing that like, cool. has like gotten me most excited. I mean, other than the birth of Christ. Yeah. Little baby Jesus, little baby Jesus. Yeah, that that has got me the most excited, and the, and I think that's like something that's that has been like really lost on a lot of people. Is like you know, I I'm very accepting of a lot of people. I went vegan for a while. Mm-hmm. I tried it, um, <clears throat> but I also like look back on on the history of mankind, and I, you got to you know, feed yourself. Providing is something that's yeah. critically important. And something that I think that, you know, a lot of people, you know, I started talking about hunting in like a more social atmosphere. And I think right. people's minds, they instantly go to redneck or someone who doesn't value animals and stuff. Like I value animals more than I think most people do. <laughs> like I look, you know, and I, you know, yeah, conservation and and valuing that is super important to me. And just being like, like I said, being able to provide a meal to someone by blood, sweat, tears. A lot of time, a lot of times, it comes to tears when they don't cooperate. But being able to to put in that hard work is is it's really it's critically important to me. It's really cool. And I, when when people hear that I fish, for instance, they always. Um, well, some some folks will, will bring up like, man, I, I think that's really cool. I, you know, I want to be able to use that as a way to provide like hunt and gather and all that. And I'm like, yeah. that's not really why I do it necessarily. Yeah. And so I think it's cool to, I think it's yeah. cool for you that you come from that space of of like taking more of a primal approach to yeah. it and, and, you know, do it. You're not going to kill a deer and leave it in the forest. You yeah. Know? yeah. You're, you're, you're well, going it, to. I mean, it's been two years now and I mean, primarily what I eat is what I harvest. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't, I don't really do it for any particular reason other than it, it just brings me a lot of satisfaction knowing where my meat came from that I, you know, that I eat. It gets you going, man. It, it really does. Yeah. And it's like, and if a, a lot of times, if I don't have stuff in the freezer, I just, Make eat, a vegan meal. Eat vegetables, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, yeah. I don't... Guess I didn't do well enough this yeah. year. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it's kind of weird coming... Like, my dad, he kind of gives me a hard time sometimes. He's like, you came from farming. He's like, you don't want to support that? And I'm like, well, it's not that I don't want to support it. It's just I don't have a hand in it, you know? Yeah. Like, it's it's this blind thing where I just, like, go to the grocery store and I just pick up this stuff. Like, I... I it, and it goes right back to what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. I like having my hands on the things that I effect in life you know yeah and you know it's not gonna sit back and and you know go buy it when you can go out and get it yeah absolutely and and it gives me a lot of time to time by myself to think and i think that you know time by yourself is is critically important it is always have a phone in front of our faces absolutely that and another thing that i was thinking about too is the 
unbelievable, unbelievably technologically advanced machines that we have in our hands at our cameras now. Yeah. It's pretty cool to have a fly rod in your hand or yeah. a bow in your hand no, instead it's super and go cool. stand out there where you don't have to yeah. charge batteries Somet- and download Sometimes I really media. think about bow hunting and I'm like, I'm flinging an arrow from a string at an animal. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, why does this work? Like, <laughs> this works. <laughs> Very primitive, but I don't know. I, I enjoy it. Dude, thanks for coming by. I really appreciate it. It's yeah, been man. really fun to talk to you and yeah, get, absolutely. get into it. Hopefully we got something good in there. I think we did. Thanks a lot, man. Absolutely. See ya. Thanks. My man, Cody. Still doing it. He's great. I hope you guys enjoyed the the chat. Again, listen up to us. Um, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify. Uh, you can find us all there. Hit the subscribe button and uh, get those notifications so you get the new ones when they come out. And uh, let us know what you think. Let me know. Hit me up. Uh, DM me on Instagram or uh, do, the, do the email thing. I answer those too. I'd love to hear from you guys. Thanks again. I'm super grateful that you guys listened up. Hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you next week.